pull out your message notes uh, as we dive into today part four of uh, I Have Decided. Um, when we started in week number one, one of the things we did was we asked a question, and that was the question that kicked off this whole series. It's what one thing, if I focused on, would make the biggest difference in my life? And the answer to that question was that I am going to be a disciple. That word is discipleship, that I'm going to focus on following Jesus. Because think about, if I'm following Jesus in my marriage, how many know I'm going to have a healthy marriage? If I'm following Jesus in my family, I'm going to have a healthy family. Nobody's looking for perfection, we're looking for healthy. If I follow Jesus in my finances, that's what discipleship is all about. And so walking into this year, recognizing that I'm making some decisions and I'm accepting the invitation that came from Jesus himself. We find it in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them, pull it out, and you can turn to this passage. You can follow along on the app as well. Uh, you can download our app at Anchor Ben TX on the App Store, or you can follow along on the screens on the sides. But Mark chapter 8, verse 34, this is where Jesus extends an invitation to the crowd. It's two groups of people. You got the disciples, you got the crowd, and here's what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be my disciple, notice what he didn't say, my fan, because see, that, that's where we got to be careful. He says, disciple. What do you do? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And so what we've been doing is getting biblical clarity around this whole mentality, this thought, this idea, following Jesus, discipleship. You, you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say pray a prayer. See, we could pray the prayer. Here's the fallacy that I have to just make us aware of. Do we pray a prayer? We do. But if our following Jesus ends with the prayer, we've missed the point of discipleship. Discipleship is not praying the prayer and feeling better about myself. Discipleship is denying myself, taking up a cross, my cross, and then following Jesus. I mean, think about that open invitation. I mean, the truth is, it's not very enticing. There's not a whole lot about consumerism in there. I mean, if you think about it, there's really nothing except the one thing that is the most important thing, eternal life. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how Jesus never negotiates? There's one way. Yeah. He's the way. Here's the process. Why? Because he has the great treasure of all. It, we can't bypass God's process to get to God's promise. And we recognize that discipleship, look, if we're going to really be disciples, and, and let me just say, you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. The, the, the whole term Christian wasn't even around in Jesus' time. It was called the way is what they called it. And the whole term Christian came in the early church, but it was because the world would look at someone and say, you're Christ-like, Christ-like. So in other words, if Jesus was standing here, the way you've responded, the way you've acted, the way you've demonstrated your life, we would think that you and Jesus, you guys are one. 
And in a culture and society that was birthed out of a Christian nation, if we don't understand this, we can do a lot of good things, feel really good about ourselves, and be missing the real way. Being a follower of Jesus, deciding and and our life being a reflection of him. And so last week we talked about being on God's mission and the heart of God has lost people. Today I want to conclude our series on three decisions we need to make, three more decisions we need to make as we follow Jesus. And just as I have done throughout the whole series, I'm going to invite you to make decisions that I'm making. You can do it. You cannot do it. I have decided I am making these decisions And I hope you'll follow me as I follow Christ. The first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. I have decided to make ministry a lifestyle. Ministry a lifestyle. Can I tell you what ministry is not? Ministry is not a vocation. Ministry is not a label of someone who is a full-time pastor or someone who is on staff at a church and... That, that, that's not it at all. And if we don't understand and make ministry a lifestyle, what we'll do is we'll say, well, pastor, that's your job. You minister to people. You feed them. You help them. And you go reach the world. In fact, you could tithe. You could encourage. You could support. But the reality is there's no distinction from a disciple in ministry. It's not a part-time gig. It's not a vocational gift. It's a lifestyle that Jesus has asked us to live. Let me, let me just be very transparent. You know, as a pastor, and I talk to my staff and our pastors very uh, candidly about this. You got to be careful. You get paid. This is a part of, you get compensated. You can think what you do during your work hours is enough. And I always just tell them, hey, listen, I'm not trying to, let, but you got to understand our work hours is the minimum. Like, that's what we get compensated for. That's our vocation. And I'm not saying you got to go work for it, but I'm just telling you, because that's the mentality that the enemy wants us to have. Well, that's your job. You do it. You fit it in a box. You don't fit ministry in a box. Ministry is a lifestyle, which means at 530, when I walk out of this office, I go to Kroger's, and this is how it's played out. So again, I'm just going to, let me just tell you my transparency. So I put my hat on, throw my AirPods in. I'm on an assignment. My wife, she has said, honey, all we need is eggs. I don't even want to go to Kroger's. I don't need eggs. You need them. I don't need them. So God, I'm following you in my marriage, and I'm going to go on the assignment. So here's my prayer. God, please don't let me see nobody. Why? Because I'm tired. I'm in a hurry. I'm busy. So I put my hat down. And how many have ever done this? You're like, you start to what? No, I'm not going down that out. Because you saw somebody. And all I'm trying to do is get to the eggs, and I'm like, God, please, pardon it. God's, it, no, no. And then you see another person, and it's the one assignment, the one, because like, when I got time, I'm like, where are they at? I minister down every aisle. <laughs> Not realizing that maybe that person who's inconveniencing me is the ministry that God has called me to, regardless of whether it's easy or not. He didn't say, do it when it's easy. Do it when it's convenient. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So my butt better walk down that aisle and say, okay, God, this is my ministry today. Honey, I'll get your eggs, but I got somebody I need to pray for, somebody I need to talk to, somebody I need to love on. I feel like I've given all that I've got, but God, there must be more inside of me because you brought an assignment right here. ministry is full-time 
And here, look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And here's what we got to be careful of, because a lot of those can get compensated for doing ministry. So then the mentality is, well, they're teachers, they're evangelists, they travel, that's ministry. No, 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 no. Listen, okay, thank you, God, for compensating me. But here's the reality. I am called to build you up. Look at it says, to equip, equip, equip his people for what? Ministry. Isn't that what works of service is? So that the body may be built up. So the body, so what's your job, Pastor? My job is to equip you and to remind you that I'm in full-time ministry, you're in full-time ministry. Mine may be vocational, but you are a marketplace minister, which means wherever it is that God has called you, that is your mission field. And we don't get to reserve the right to turn it off and to wear a different hat and then come in here to the church and say, well, my ministry is Sunday. And listen, dream team, Sunday service, small groups, legacy, all those things, those are awesome. Those are a great step. But the reality is just coming on a Sunday and serving is not just ministry. In fact, we're ministering to a lot of saved people, some lost people. Your ministry is every single day of the week, and you've got to Take the ownership of it. Look, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We're Christ's ambassadors. So think about this. Just imagine, wherever you're at, you represent a king that's from a different kingdom. How should you act? How would you respond to that boss that has been ugly to you, oppressing you? trying to sidebar you because they're threatened that you've got something they don't. See, when you think that it's all about you, what you'll do is you'll go in and you'll try to keep climbing the ladder. But when you recognize this is ministry that God has called me to and the greatest leader is a servant, you will go in with a different mentality of, God, you placed me here. Yes, they're ugly. I'm not saying what they're doing is right. But this whole great resignation, I'm going to leave places because I don't feel happy and joy-filled and all that. Listen, I've been on assignments a lot of times. I didn't feel happy and joy-filled to be in that place, but I was playing skillfully in a field that God called me to on an assignment that God had put in my life. And so the question is, do you act differently? Well, you, I think you would. I I do. Think about if I walk into Kroger's recognizing that mentality and look at what Romans 10, 14 says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And remember back then when this was written, they didn't have platforms with preachers. That's pretty modern phenomenon. That's not back in Jesus's time, the early church. You know what preaching is? It scares people because you think you got to have three points, some stories, and some great intros and outros and all that. No, no. Preaching is this, proclaiming. So what's preaching? Can you proclaim the goodness of God? That everywhere you go, it's like, I just can't shut up. I got to tell you, God has been so faithful to me that though I'm walking through this storm, he has provided. Though my body may have cancer, God has already healed it. And you just continue to talk about the goodness of God. That's what preaching is. And so how will they hear unless we preach? Declare. Have the mentality that 
And, and this is why I had to talk about it this week. Look, bring them to church. We talked about it. But you got to go to the world. And you got to be the salt and the light and the one. Look at what Francis of Assisi says. He says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Isn't that powerful? That you're called. Let me quit it like this. Anybody ever been on a mission trip? Anybody been on a short-term mission trip, long-term mission trip? Okay. Well, we're going to get all of y'all. Bobby, we got to get some mission trips going up in this place. I've been all over the world. Phyllis and I had the privilege to go to lots of different countries. Here's how I would equate a ministry mentality is that, you know, when I went overseas on a mission trip, I was not a consumer. I didn't go in there acting like the customer. I didn't go in there and make it all about, you, about me, you know. I'm like, hey, I'm in this country, whether it's Peru or Panama or whatever country it's in. It's like the moment I land, my mind shifts. So what does that mean? That means I'm willing to be inconvenienced. I'm willing to lower my expectation. I'm willing to get rid of some personal comforts and amenities. I'm allowing myself to not be at the center of what I'm doing. God is at the center. And I have a mentality like any person is the person God has called me to. And the mentality of that, listen to this. Your pastor, and I like nice things. I'm telling you in the States, I got AC, but I have slept in places overseas on a mission trip that didn't have any AC, and I never complained. I've slept on the floor. I have bathed in rivers, y'all, rivers with piranhas. I have slept in rooms that had bats flying around. I've slept in rooms that had cockroaches. Now, Texas, we got cockroaches, but you ain't seen them like you've seen them in Peru and Panama, and they go... Flying, dodging them. And you know what I never did? Complain. Never said, I got to get out of here. Why? Because it wasn't about me. I've ridden in overcrowded buses, vehicles like rickshaws that you probably should never be riding in. I, I, I went days without a shower. Why? Because I was on mission. Am I telling you to do those things? That's not what I'm saying. Look, I like my truck. I got AC in the seats of my leather truck, and I like it. But the question is, the comforts that we have, the things that we like, are you at the center of your mission field or is God? Because if your mentality is, man, God, you're in the center, you're willing to give up the best seat. You're willing to forego your amenities. Well, why would you give this up? Well, because I'm on mission. Because, see, I don't, I don't need to prefer myself. In fact, I would even say it like this. I, I, I wonder if some of you, you're, you've got it in you to climb the ladder, whether it's education or whether it's success. And, and so you keep praying, God, I, I don't know why I'm not getting promoted. I wonder if it's because you've been living at that place with the wrong mentality. And the moment you recognize that promotion doesn't come from men, promotion comes from God, I don't have to do what the world does to be promoted. I just need to live on mission, in my mission field, with the mentality that I am in full-time ministry. That God wouldn't just say, oh, you're ready now. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready. Yeah, yeah, I got you now. Because, see, here's, here's what I've seen in my own life. They don't even have to like you to promote you. What do you mean? Well, I don't even know why we're doing this, but you're going to 
get that positioned. Well, I know why you're doing that. Because ain't nobody can hold me back, put me down. I'm the only one that holds back what God wants to do in my life. And I wonder if it's because we've had a wrong mentality. Ministry is a life that, that That's my decision. Second decision I'm making is to store my treasure in heaven. It's just a decision I'm making. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Look what it says. Don't lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So in other words, the things of this earth will all pass away. So verse 20 is the solution. What's the solution, pastor? Lay for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Storing treasure in heaven. I need you to know this. Discipleship, following Jesus, is not about just all the good things you do. You can show up on a Sunday. You can change your behaviors and get rid of some of the bad habits. You can serve. You can go to small group. You can do all the things that mark a disciple and still not be a disciple. Why? Because what matters most is not behavior modification. It's your heart. Because if God has your heart, God has everything else. Let, let me just show you two stories in the, in the New Testament. The story of Zacchaeus. It's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 8 through 10. We read the story last week as part of our text. So let me just frame it up for those of you that might be new. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, which means that man was really good at what he did. Tax collectors were crooks. So they stole from their people as they took the taxes that were owed to Rome, and they built their wealth off the backs of their own people. So nobody liked tax collectors. They were the chief sinners. I mean, they would have been the scum, the lowest of lows to the Jews. Well, Zacchaeus is hungry for the answer, the truth, the way. And imagine even in the text, like, this man is filthy rich, and yet he is so hungry, he's willing to be undignified and climb into a tree. Those men didn't climb in no trees. But he heard the way was passing through. So he invites Jesus to his house, and we know Jesus goes to his house, but I want you to see what happens. Now, this is, it's a little covert, because we don't know the conversation him and Jesus have. Sometimes we hear the conversation, sometimes we just see the result of it. Look at the result of their conversation. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. Man, fascinating. Wasn't praying a prayer. Wasn't all the, what was it? It was attached to what his God was, money. And so what we see is after a conversation with Jesus, see, here's what we have to understand. God will not share the throne of your heart with anything. There is one God. There is one Lord. 
There is one Savior. And here's what we see is that this young man or this however old he was says, look, I'm going to give restitution. I'm going to give half of all my possessions. Why half? Here's what I think. Again, we don't know the conversation. That's what it took to tip the scale to make Jesus Lord. He didn't say an amount. Just that's, that's, that's the lordship. And each person is different. Now, look, let me show you another story. Look, the rich young ruler, Jesus, is walking, and a man comes up to him and asks, Teacher, found in Matthew 19, 16, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So imagine wealthy people. I, I find wealthy people sometimes are the, the, the most depressed. They got everything, but they're still poor. And so here we have this man. He said, look, here, what do I have to get eternal life? Now, in the response, Jesus simply says, hey, go fulfill the commandments. He said, which ones? And Jesus begins to tell him the commandments. And, and look at his response in verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? By the outside, he would have looked like a disciple. Oh, he's better than most. Going to church, serving on the dream team, going to a small... I mean, this man's got... And then even, God, what, what is it? I'll do it. But he's missing something. Look at what happens here. Jesus says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have... Then come and follow me. Then come and follow me. Then come and follow me. See, Jesus is not looking for behavior modification. He wants your heart. And the young man heard this. Look at, because these are the two responses. Zacchaeus, boom. Look what he says. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And look at the irony of this. One gives half. We don't have the conversation, so I can't judge the conversation. This man, God, demands all. What's the common denominator? It's whatever amount will dethrone money out of the lordship position. Well, who identifies that? You and God. You and God. Look at what it says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't it interesting? Why didn't he say God and the devil? He says God and money. And the word there is mammon, which is the spirit that is on money that is unsubmitted to God. Because see, if you were to say, hey, God or the devil, how many of you would pick the devil? No, no, no. We're going to pick God every time. But what God is doing is God is exposing the enemy because you serve the devil when you serve money. Why? Because it's unsubmitted to God. Do you understand? And so God is trying to bring revelation and saying, look, that's the common denominator. Are you serving mammon, money, or are you serving me? So when he, these guys said, Jesus, what do we need to do? In the conversation, God told them, this is the thing that flips it. And that's why Hebrews 13, 8 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money, not money. I mean, how many know you got to have money to change the world? 
Like, you can't change the world poor. I just, if you don't know that, let me just tell you, you got to have money to change the world. IOUs do not work. Are you with me? So it's not that you're getting away from money. It's the root. Which one, do you have money or does money have you? It says, be content with what you have. I heard a story about a man who came up to a Baptist preacher. He said, sir, my dog has passed away, and I was wondering if you could come to my house and perform the funeral for my dog. Well, the pastor was annoyed and said, absolutely not. I do not do funerals for dogs. Well, the man said, well, pastor, that's, that's too bad because I was thinking about giving $5,000 to your church. Pastor smiled and said, well, why didn't you tell me your dog was Baptist? Why this money thing? Why? Because Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart. So you understand this, like, God, how do, how, I got to migrate my treasure, at, not, not here on earth. Now, listen, I'm blessed. You're blessed. I'm very blessed. I love what God has done. It's amazing. I'm not asking you to go take a vow of poverty. What I'm asking us to do is make sure that our treasure is migrated into heaven, that God, we choose to let you have our heart. Now, how do I do it? Let me tell you how I do it. I give to this church. I tithe. Phyllis and I have done it. I've done it my whole life. I hadn't always tithed to this church because when I was a kid, I went to a church called Triumph Church. Been tithing since I was in elementary school. As long as I give money. Then I was in Rudy Bond's church and New Life Church in Tyler, Texas. Guess what? I tithe there. I was over here at church in Sugarland, and that's where God called me. I was tithing there. And then when God called me, guess what? I'm tithing here. It's not about the place, it's about the mentality of God. I am going to store my treasure in heaven. And the best place to migrate that is in the body of Christ, the local church. Pastor, no pastor, this is where I store my truth. In fact, a friend told me this a long time ago, and I thought it was so powerful. When you give to the local church, it's like giving to God himself. And, and I just want you to know this. Hey, I, this is what I do. I give legacy. I, I want you to know this. You're going to be hard-pressed to outgive me. And that's a fact. As long as God continues to bless me, I'm going to bless this church. I'm going to sow into this church. And here's what I have seen. See, if this was just about a paycheck, you blessing me, my heart won't be in this. But when you're invested in it, come hell or high water, COVID or no COVID, offense or no offense, people like me or not like me, it don't matter why, because I'm invested into heaven. My heart is here. I cannot quit. I will not quit. Quitting is not an option. And I've learned this. My heart is fickle. My heart is deceitful. And so where am I investing into heaven? In fact, it's, it's very fascinating. Someone says, well, how long, how long do you think I'll be at the church? The, 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 it's simple. Do you give? Do you keep giving? How much do you give? Because here's what's fascinating. God can touch you, change you, save you. But when you're not giving into that place, you will eventually fall away. But the people that I have seen year in and year out, it's like, why? Because my heart, doesn't matter what's happened. I've learned, I've learned, I've learned. And again, I'm not saying just here. I give outside. I give to nonprofits. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give to places that are not feeding my family. My kids get touched here. 
They pastor my kids and youth. Like, like at the end of the day, why? Because where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. And then somebody say, here, here, here's what I hear too. I can, I can just hear it. How much do I give, pastor? I don't know. Well, you should have an answer. Yeah, I got some thoughts of starting places. But look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have. Say that word together. In your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that fascinating? And even in the story, you know, as I studied it out, isn't it fascinating? One, it was half. One, it was all. Here's what I would just ask you. Just ask God. You say, well, I want to migrate my, my wealth into eternity and into heaven. So the question you got to do is say, God, where do I start? What, what do you want me to do? And I actually had someone say, well, I, you know, I asked God, and I, I just not hear anything. And I said, well, did you really ask him? She, they said, well, no, I didn't really ask him. How I many know when you think it is not asking? Like there's a posture of God. See, God is not here to make you feel good. He's not here to make me feel good. He's here to save lost people and humanity. And so you'll notice both approach Jesus. See, we want God to beat us and just tell me what to do. He wants you to ask. So it's God, what do you want me to do? I have decided. I'm just telling you, I have decided I'm going to store my treasure in heaven. Here's the third and final one. I've decided to make godly relationships a priority. Relationships are at the core of discipleship. And let me, let me just tell you, I think there's been times where I've lost sight of that. Let's be real candid. I write about it in my book. If you don't have it, I want to encourage you to go get it. Can't afford it, let me know, and we'll give one to you. God has put me on a mission to help people get unstuck and become unstoppable. But I talk about it in the book, and here's, here's what I know. COVID, this global pandemic, reshaped the fabric of not only this nation, but churches. That even as a pastor, I recognize things getting on me that should never be on me. And so what I've decided is saying, look, relationships are going to be a priority. Let, let me just even explain. I believe with all my heart that whole term social distancing. Think about that. It was March. Two weeks to slow the spread. You guys remember, I'm sure we're all a little shell-shocked. But what were the words? And listen, I'm not talking about mask or no mask. The words were social distancing. What they meant was physical distancing. But how many know words matter? And so in the psyche of America, we are taught we don't even need to be social. We have to distance for physical health. Can I tell you that if you don't have relational health, you will eventually die? In fact, it was the most fascinating thing. Kevin Baxter is one of the pastors here, and he manages nursing homes as his vocation. And he was telling me, I was asking him, hey, Kevin, tell me, like, what have you seen in nursing homes? This is when all the pandemic started. He said, you know, what's fascinating, Pastor, is that not one of our elderly have died from COVID. We have a few get it, and they quarantine, and they have great processes and procedures. He said, but I cannot tell you how many have died because they cannot have a relationship with people. And he told me the story about a man that used to be the life of one of his nursing homes. And he's like, man, this guy was, he was the life of the party. And he was the one doing all the, he said, the moment you made him lock into a room, he died in two weeks. Wow. 
So what we had was the enemy, hey, I'm all about physical distancing. I'll do what I need to do to keep people safe. But what I will not do is allow that to change the psyche of what God's called us to. We need relationships. We've got to have people in our life. In fact, that's how God designed us, that we would have relationships and build the church. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I would even be as bold as to say, I believe the enemy has tried to cripple the church. Because when you look at the dynamics of what built the church, the strength of the church, look at what we see. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and a prayer. I mean, if you read it in today's context, what would you think? If you're me, I'm thinking, well, let's teach them and let's pray. That alone will never change the world. So yes, we need to teach. Yes, we need to pray, but what we got to do, we got to have fellowship. We got to pray together. We got to live together. We got to break bread together. And I understand here's, here's the mentality that I, well, I don't need all that. And you got these people who are social media theologians that have never studied the Bible. And they're like, well, all I need is just Jesus and me. Well, that's just not really true because it's not biblical. Show me one place where Jesus said, just you and me, partner, and we good. No, he built a tribe. He built 12 and 72 and told people, hey, eat together, fellowship together. We were never intended to be isolated. What you're experiencing when someone says that is trauma and pain from the past. They were traumatized. There's some pain. There's some hurt. And I just want you to know, if that's you, that pain is valid. But what the enemy has done is tried to take that pain and sabotage your future and what God wants to do. We're not strong enough. It reminds me of the story of Muhammad Ali. I don't know if you know who Muhammad Ali is, but he was one of the greatest uh, heavyweight boxers in history. He was very demonstrative. He's a lot of fun to watch, and he was pretty arrogant. And uh, there's a story that, as the story goes, he was on an airplane, and he refused to buckle his seatbelt. And uh, the flight attendant asked him, Mr. Ali, would you buckle, buckle up? And he, uh, you know, as he typically does, he responded, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she was pretty witty, and she replies back, well, Superman don't need no plane. Buckle up. You're not tough enough. You're not strong enough. I know you think you're Superman, but the reality is God created every person to need relationships and to have community. He created us that way. In fact, let, let me just even prove it to you. I, I know my series has been really good, and I've had people, I, this is a joke, but they're, they're like, so good. And here's why I'd say, just name the last two message titles. I had someone say, well, it's I have decided that's not the title. That's the series. And as good as it is, maybe somebody could say three. Why? Because, all right, that's awesome. But let, here, let me ask you this. Name five people that have impacted your life. Oh, I bet you rattle off. Boom, 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 boom. Why? Because it's not information that changes you. It's relationships. It's people. It's who God, people, relationships, they shape you. In fact, I say this all the time to our team. Relationships are the currency of life. That you look at anything God's ever done to me and through me and in me, it's all based on the relationships that I have. And that's why the enemy is constantly trying to sabotage those relationships and keep you isolated so that you will not be who God's called you to be and do what God has called you to do. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. 
And this is Paul exhorting the church. He said, don't give up meeting together. In other words, hey, there were distractions back in Paul's day. There are distractions in this day. He said, look, don't quit. Don't stop. I want you to keep gathering together. And he even said, look, the habit of doing. I think that's what COVID did. It got us out of a habit. He said, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And here's why. Let me just give you the why. We experience healing through relationships. Look at this, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to God. Pray for each other that you might be healed. Is that what it says? What's it say? God, you mean, God, you want me to confess my faults to people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we're gonna pray for each other, right? Okay, well, how many know that takes some vulnerability? You mean I gotta tell you I mean, one of my dearest friends sitting right here on this front row. Bobby and I have been through a lot of things together. We do lunch together. We met just, what, last week? Was it last week? We've met every two weeks. It's like, man, hey, listen, here's some things I'm working through. Here's some things. So it takes vulnerability. Bobby, you really, really? Okay. Whoo. And, and then Bobby's like, man, I'm praying for you. I got you. Why? Because... The Bible says relationships are how we experience it. See, what you would think is, God, if I pray, heal the wounds of my past. God, heal my... No, you know when you pray, God will deliver you. God will forgive you. God will answer in miracles and signs and wonders. But do you understand that that's where the enemy is trying to attack because this is what God wants to raise up. And my mission in life through that book, through this church, is that we're going to raise up healed healers. Right now we have churches full of wounded healers. And what's the thing? Well, when I'm healed, I can take what I've got to the world around us. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to have it all together. No, but I got to go back to be vulnerable and to realize the mask up here is not what bothers me. It's the mask right here. And that's what society has done. We've wore a mask here and inadvertently have done this. Don't look, don't see, don't. And we come to church and here's the tragedy of it all. You could get the money right. You could get the stuff right, the discipleship to follow Jesus, and still not be fully healed. Well, how does it happen? Relationships. How do you do it? Here's how I do it. I do it intentionally through my small groups. You know, today we're launching small groups, 80 small groups all throughout the city, the community, different days, different nights, different uh, free market ones. And the men that I have done small group with have become some of my dearest friends in life. The challenge is we get so close and then I got to kick them out. Bobby, you know what happened? I'm like, Bobby, you got to go do your own. Pablo, you got to go do it. Kevin, you got to go. Because what, if we make it about ourselves, we'll, we'll, we'll keep them and hold them. But it's like, we still boys, we just got to find a different way to do it. You just can't be in my small group. Let's have lunch. Why? Because we understand the value of saying, look, i got to help people. I've experienced a level of healing, and I need to bring that healing to the world around me. I just want to encourage you. Here's what I'm going to ask, and this is what I did the earlier service. If you're a man in here, and I just want to speak to the men. Will you man up with me? Can we lead our families? 
See, I can talk to the women, I can talk to the teenagers, but the truth is, if God gets you, he's got your family. You can't delegate discipleship to your spouse. And here's what, here's what I'm asking, too. It's, so how do I start? Here's, here's what I say. Some of you don't need to serve. You just need to go to a small group. See, you thought we were trying to keep you busy. We're trying to get you healed. So I'm not even asking you to serve. Just show up. Just be, we got 10 different men's small group. Just come to a small group and just say, that's why I believe in a small group for men. Because I have a passion. It's like, man, if we can get the man, we get the family. Yeah, I'm going to end with this article that I read. Get ready. I feel like God's got some things on the inside, but... It was an article by Forbes, and it's the topic of being loved and held and nurtured. They wrote this article on a study about babies in orphanages, and it was done in 1940, and what they found was absolutely fascinating. They had an orphanage, they went and visited, and they call it institutional care, which is where the mom and dad are no longer there. The baby is dropped off at an institution. And they did the study at an institution that provided everything, food, water, changed diapers. I mean, they took care of these babies, but the one thing they couldn't do was provide affection and nurture and care because there were just way too many babies. So that means the babies were not touched, they were not held, they were not loved and embraced, they weren't talked to by their names, they weren't talked to at all, they were just taken care of. And what happened and what was so fascinating is they found that the orphans who were not held or touched, who were not taken care of through affection but just physical need, they died 37% more times than those who had it. And here's what was fascinating. When those babies died, there was no sickness, there was no disease, there was no root cause that would have caused that baby to die other than this whole thing, what they, they call care, nurture, relationship, connection. And the syndrome that they called it, listen, this is what they called it, failure to thrive syndrome. Here's my concern. We physically made it out of COVID. And listen, I'm not, I know people died. I have people that I, I know. It's real. I'm going to do everything I can. But I'm not social distancing. If I got a physical, okay, cool, cool. But here's what happened. The psyche of the church has been changed. And so we thought, well, I don't, I don't need you. We stop having the relationship, but we're there, but we're not there. Come to church, but we're not connected. And here's my question. I wonder how many are here today with the failure to thrive syndrome. And God says, this is the missing piece. It's relationships. It's getting back into the lives of people that might hurt you. And can I just tell you, hey, listen, we're not perfect. You may find a small group here that slipped past us and that small group leader, you know, <laughs> go find another small group. Don't quit. Just, just say, hey, no, this one's not for me. Sure. Go. 
See, I mean, how many have ever had a bad haircut? Anybody ever have a bad, bad haircut? I've had some bad haircuts, some that I'm really embarrassed about. And uh, what I didn't do was say, I'm going to stop cutting my hair. You know what I did? I went and found a new barber. That's where you can't let the pain stop you from getting what you need. What do you need? You need healing. You need freedom in your heart. you got to experience the power of God in a deeper way. And don't allow a bad experience to keep you from the very thing God brought you here for. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. Move in a supernatural way. We love you. We bless you. We praise you.